Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Welcome. I'm glad to have you all here today. We have a very exciting show for you today. We have Dr. Michelle Clark and Dr. Moira Summers joining us together, and we're very excited to have you both here. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. As we typically do, what I'd like to start with is you know, th this idea of working with family owned businesses for many, many people is like, that's a business. Um, and, you know, today there's actually colleges and universities that, you know, that study this, but when all of us started our journey, I'm guessing that uh, that wasn't necessarily the case. So if you wouldn't mind, just talk about your journey. Where did you start? You know, give us the the, the three minute rundown of how you got to where you are today, if you don't mind. Moira, would you mind kicking us off? Sure. Um, well, like, I mean, because family businesses are just all over the place, uh, I, I had the chance to witness some of the triumphs and the tribulations through friends, uh, through, you know, friends at church and, and friends in the community, and just realized that, wow, this is, this is a, there's a whole bunch of extra challenges when you when you rub elbows all day with the same people that you go home with. Uh, I am a clinician, and so I also got to see it from the clinical side when when things weren't going so well. And then as a coach, I've been able to see it uh, at the happy side when things are going very well and people are asking us to come on board to help with growth and to help with transitions. So I feel like I've seen it from a number of different a number of different angles. And during the pandemic, all th my husband and my two sons all started their own businesses. And so it's just been it's been so exciting to watch them launch. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, Michelle, would you mind telling us about your journey? I'd be happy to. So I too started out as a psychologist in clinical practice, uh, working with really troubled families. And uh, at one point made a complete redirection to become a business psychologist. And uh, as part of that journey, I was facilitating meetings for a group called the Chief Executive Network. Okay. And uh, what I noticed is they would introduce me as Dr. Clark, the psychologist. And at every happy hour, I would have a line of people waiting to buy me a drink and they would always start with, uh, I'm in a family business and my dad or my mom. Uh, and uh, after enough of those events, I came to realize there was a huge need and that a lot of the things that I understood about families from my clinical practice and about business 
from the work that I had done really intersected. And the further I got into it, the more I realized those families often had lots of lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, all of whom had no interest whatsoever in talking to the family about the drama and couldn't be happier to have an additional player on the team. Uh, and so that became a, a, a niche that flowed easily. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, today I appreciate you both sharing a little bit about your background um, and really impressive background. So I'm glad to have you here today. We're talking about a tough subject and I, I love to take a subject you know, matter that, you know, people see on occasion and go deep into it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about when the family business leader won't let go. And we have a couple of interesting spins on, you know, that conversation. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to dig into it. Why don't, you know, um, Dr. Summers, why don't you set us up in terms of talking about, you know, the, the impact of these family relationships during leadership transition talking about, you know, what it's like, you know, what are, what it's like when you're seeing, you know, the leader um, that won't let go, you know, if you just set that up for us a little bit. Sure. So, you know, I hate to be, I hate to be talking about hard stuff right off the top. Really, we're just, we're groovy, fun-loving gals. We are, <laughs> but we're just going to go right for the mess. And the, um, so some of the mess has to do with the fact that you know, people have loved their businesses and they've grown them and it's been their hobby as well as their livelihood. And, and so it's just wrenching sometimes to let go of something that has been so successful and so effective and so meaningful, you know, just all wrapped up into one, especially if there's nothing anywhere near as compelling that they're that they're moving towards so that's one of the the big challenges is not just retiring from but retiring to i know that's not earth-shattering news but boy is it a thing agreed dr clark do you want to add to that certainly uh so you know i love what maura said about uh, business owners and particularly business founders wrap the entirety of their identity around their business often. And that excludes other types of relationships and other types of hobbies. And I think from a generational perspective, the generation that we had that have that is nearing retirement now, particularly for the male business founders, uh, grew up at a time when men's role identity was all about being a provider uh, and uh, a success in the world of work. And so when you take that cultural underpinning plus uh, the intensity of founding a business, uh, you often end up with a large group of people who don't have uh, a robust other life, a personal life. Their, their personal life is their business as well as their professional life. And, and that brings up uh, you know, a, a huge vacuum that when they look at what comes next, and that can really lead to, you know, fears about what happens to them. There's all the horror stories about the person that retires and has a heart attack the next day or, uh, or you know, things like that. And so mortality fears and fears of not being relevant uh, and valued can really kick in around the times of those transitions. What I've also seen in a continuation of that is 
you know, they're a subset of people who would be ostensibly good to go, like they would really like to leave. Um, but either they're not fully confident in who's taking over, or it's just hard to watch somebody else put their own stamp on it or make their own mistakes. You know, we forget in the process of building our own businesses, how many missteps that we personally took along the way, but it's somehow, it's less painful to, to be the one in control of, of the car that got the speeding ticket than to be the one who says, you idiot, why did you get a speeding ticket? Um, it's just uh the control over even something like mistakes is hard it's harder to be the bystander the witness to that agreed love it i want to talk about kind of the impact on the relationships that that can happen during these transition times but before i before i we dive into that one of the things that just pops into my head as you were talking about the you know all of this is um, we did a book club um, a couple months back, last quarter, where we did Simon Sinek's um, The Infinite Game. And, and so often we, we, we relate to the business as a finite. It's my lifetime is the only part that, you know, that I'm thinking about. And if we can, if we can, the sooner we can think about it as the infinite game is because business is not a game that you win or lose. They always just keep, you know, it, it will keep going. And family is 100% infinite, you know, it just, it, it, it keeps moving on. And so I, I think it's important to think like that. Um, one of, you know, one of my mentors said um, that if you can approach this the way the Iroquois did, and we, you know, we live in upstate New York, so we have the Iroquois here and it's that seventh generation thinking. And if you can, if you, it's hard to do because nobody's having, nobody's questioning you that way early on in your career to say, what are you doing today to be thinking about seven generations from now? Um, as you're building this, we're all thinking about the, how do I put food on the table? How do I take care of my family right now? And it's really tough to separate those two pieces. Appreciate that's um, just what popped into my head as you were talking. So I just wanted, wanted to put that out there. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, you know, how, what are some of the, the, the negative and positive impacts that can happen during these transition times when we're talking about the transitional leadership? And then we'll, then we'll talk about, you know, we'll, we'll dive in a little deeper on that. Why don't you go ahead, Michelle? Sure. So um, transition times are obviously uh, have a, a dual-edged sword, right? That those times of transition are often a time for regeneration, for new ideas, uh, for innovation to happen. Uh, and they're also often a time where there's conflict and tension. And, uh, you know, anytime you're sharing control, whether it's with your spouse over what you're going to watch on TV or uh, where you're going to make a $10 million investment in the business, when you're sharing control, uh, there are opportunities for uh, challenge and conflict. And one of the key moments where I see that emerge is at the time where the rising generation is hitting their full level of competence and involvement in the business. And uh, the generation that is closer to retirement uh, is still has a role, has a title, 
but in a number of ways has started to take some steps uh, to reduce their engagement. And, you know, of late, one of the places where there's, I've seen conflicts really emerge, this was probably more true five years ago than it is now for sure, but is investment in technology. And uh, the retiring generation wanting to invest money uh, in ways that they have been successful in the past in building the business and the next generation with a ton more technological savvy and a sense of what was coming in the marketplace wanting to take big amounts of money and invest it in that sense of uh, the retiring generation not being savvy with technology and not really embracing what was coming next and the rising generation feeling almost a sense of panic uh, that if we don't get ahead of this, uh, I'm going to be paying the price for it 10 years from now. Uh, and so I think that those kinds of uh, generational differences that also play out around how the world of work is defined, uh, that folks that are in their you know, 30 to 50 year age range define work not as a place that they go, but a thing that they do. Uh, and so there also often is conflict around work hours that uh, the, the parents may look and say, these darn kids are not putting in anywhere near the hours that I used to put in. Uh, and the, you know, the 45 year old child might be saying, yes, I'm leaving at 3.30 to go pick my child up. And I'm on the computer from 9.30 until midnight. How do you think all of the uh, accounting gets done? Uh, and you know, so those are places where all of us have generational differences and sometimes encounter them. But in families, when you're needing to manage that both personally and professionally, those can be some places of challenge. Great. Uh, I was struck as you were talking about, I'm on faculty with the, with the Financial Transitionist Institute where we teach people how to work with folks in transition. And we always say that transitions have four stages. There's an anticipation part, if, if you're lucky, right? Unless it's sort of something sudden, but most of us have a little bit of time to think about the, the major life things that, that might be on the horizon. And then there's, that, there's a phase of ending and again, how, how definitive that ending is varies from person to person. You know, if the transition is marriage, one would hope that single life ends at once. <laughs> That's just my value. I don't mean, you know. Um, but, and then there's this crazy third phase um, of passage where, you know, it's just filled with chaos as well as possibilities and and it really is a, a bit of a zany ride until you get to the fourth circle or the the fourth stage which is the new normal mm -hmm. and, and as i said sometimes you sometimes these phases are overlapping and sometimes they're quite distinct but new normal takes a long while to get to and darn it when you know it as soon as you get to a new normal <laughs> something else changes and I think one of the really interesting things is that, you know, the, the person who's moving out of the business is going through her own transition or his own transition. The people who are coming up behind them are going through their transitions. And that's just with respect to business life. There's also personal life, right? So it starts looking like one of those, if we're gonna talk about indigenous metaphors, right? Like a, one of the Hopi hoop dances, there's so many things swinging around that you're, that you're managing. And the business itself is almost, you know, like a person 
in some ways that it too has to adapt to transitions. And so I think it's just so important that we keep the spirit of graciousness and curiosity and really a growth mindset and, and this always remember that, that these people are not the enemy. <laughs> these are my people. And, and together we are on this journey that is, gonna, is going to see growth for all of us. In, and if we're willing to step out in front of that and say, bring it on. I want to be the best possible version of me as I can during this time. It sets it up to be so much better a passage. Yeah. As you as you were talking, the the piece we've talked about it on the show several times. So some people have will have heard of this already, but that three circle model just instantly pops into your head. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. so one of the things that you know we try to work with people on is to say, you know, they draw out that Venn diagram, and those circles are exactly the same size, and they never are exactly the same size. So just to be clear, the circles you're talking about are ownership, business, and family. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that for those listening. Appreciate it. Um, And when you have those three different circles and you're you're juggling those, every diagram that I've ever seen, they show them with all of them being equal. Mm. And they are never equal. And there were times when you're focusing way too much on the business and the, and the decisions are being made from a management or the business level. And you're, we're forgetting about the family aspect or we're forgetting about the ownership aspect. And there'll be times when, you know, that's flipped and we're, you know, a lot of times need to be focused on the family. And, and especially as new family members are coming in or families are going through transition outside of the business. And so just a, really clear picture, I think, to help people as you're going through these transitions, just to remember that those circles are not equal, but you do have to pay attention to the ownership, the business and management of it in the family as you're going through these pieces. Michelle. And the other thing that I think is important to add to that visual is as the family is going through this passage, most family-owned businesses have employees, non-family employees right. uh, that are there that are also going through this passage. And, you know, I went through some pretty tough passages with my parents. Uh, and I was lucky enough, I didn't have to have an audience to, uh, you know, how well I managed that m- much of the time. Uh, and, and often the success of the business in the midst of transition is also connected to the non-family members that are doing the day-to-day work and their sense of stability and inclusion and confidence in the family passage uh, leading to an end result that is a business that they want to continue to take part of. And, and, and thinking of your three circles plus an additional level, level that's deeply connected to those things. And the- Add, to, add that one more to that is then you have the family members, right, that don't work in the business that are also going through this and affected by all of that. So there, there's a lot of different layers of the onion, so to speak, to, to pull back. How, you know, if, I, if I'm the leader, how do I know if you're talking about me right now? <laughs> I, I guess that would be what, what should be some of the things that I should be questions maybe that I should be asking myself in terms of how am I handling this transition and might, might I be looking at this thing differently um, than I might not be, you know, 
how do I know if I'm not able to let go? I would say probably one of the biggest indicators is how often have you asked for feedback about how you're doing? How often have you really gone out in front of any issues that might possibly be developing and said, am I giving you the space you need? Am I giving you sufficient support? What could I be doing differently? What do you need me to step out of entirely? Where do you feel that you are um, under my shadow or unable to escape my gravitational orbit? Where do you feel that you're lost, right? Like just, if you're not asking those questions, then it's possible that you are missing really, really valuable data about, about yourself. And so I would just say, you know, it, it's always so much easier to get feedback when you ask for it and when you, when you can sort of prepare and remind. Well, try to, if you want to be sure that you're not that leader who's, who's in the way, then definitely get out in front by asking those questions. Great. Michelle, anything to add to that? What do you, what's coming to mind for you? So uh, I, I absolutely agree with what uh, Moira just said. And the, you know, another thing that I would say that's an example of that is one of the, the focuses that I have with families that I work with is it's always better to have preemptive conversations before the conversation has somebody's name on it. Uh, you know, so often that relates to uh, if there's a chance that children are coming into the business, it's always better to have a conversation about, you know, what's your take on part-time work before it's got, uh, uh, you know, somebody's child's name attached to it. And I think that that same thing is true. Uh, you know, if you're the leader of a, a family business and uh, retirement is still a ways away, Getting proactive about coming up with that plan of how would you know, uh, you know, if you start asking those questions, for example, when you're 50 and you're at the peak of your leadership of the family business and you've sketched out uh, what's going to happen in the future, it's a lot easier to then have that conversation not feel so painful at whatever point that it starts to kick in. Uh, that, that would be one important thing is as early as you can start those conversations, as well as as early as you can start to build your retirement and what where you want that to be, what you want to be able to be doing. It's a lot, you know, just as it's a lot easier to retire when you start saving at 25 than if you start at 50. If you start building your post-retirement uh, life, uh, at 50, it's going to be a whole lot deeper and richer than if you don't start thinking about your post-retirement life until you're 67. It's, it's funny because that's a, a new career has kind of blossomed in the last probably, I'd say 10, 15 years where there are people that do executive coaching to help people to determine what does retirement look like for you. And I, and I would say that it really is super important. You know, my father, when he sold his practice, I purchased half and uh, somebody else purchased the other half. Um, he stayed active on boards 
and inside of charities and whatnot. And that was, that was fulfilling for him. And he and I just spoke recently, we were talking about, he's like, I'm ready for something else. And so, you know, what's really neat is um, he's just joining the private directors association. And with all of that experience of being on a board and having run a business and working with family businesses for years, he's looking to take a board seat someplace so that he's active and engaged and, and, you know, valuable. And um, he didn't hate the fact that most of these board positions actually pay a little bit too, as well. You know, it's a, it's a nice part-time gig, not having to have the responsibility, but kind of go from there. That, you know, it's, um, I've seen many of them, the new age retirement, and um, I can't remember some of the other programs that are out there, but it's just asking yourself those questions, right? It becomes really important. As a neuropsychologist, as somebody who works with brain health day in, day out, I, I think that one of, again, one of the challenges that you need to ask yourself is, what am I doing new that I haven't done? Like if you were to take a page out of my calendar and compare it to the one that was there five years ago or 10 years ago, is there anything that I'm doing that's different? Because if not, chances are you will be one of those leaders who's getting in the way of successful transition. The problem is, of course, that it's a little bit um, ego bruising sometimes to, to put ourselves in the way of new things. If we'd wanted to take up, you know, ballroom dancing or, um, cliff diving, we would have done that 20 years ago. So why would I do it now? But the problem is that our brains actually thrive on novelty. They thrive on change. They thrive when they are put into situations that they have to adapt in new ways. And so another indicator then, Michael, of of whether you're a leader who's in the way already or somebody who could get in the way is in what way are you stretching yourself, particularly stretching yourself outside of your own family business? And if the answer is, I'm not really, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> right. It, 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 talk to me about, and this is not on our agenda or whatnot, but you just said, you know, as a neuropsychologist and the, how the brain kind of thinks. And that's what what's coming up for me is like, the quote, leaders are readers, leaders are learners. And, and that seems like, you know, it does, it's not just as we age that that's important, but if our brain is, brains are thriving on that, you know, that's how we're going to grow our business. That's how we're going to, but it's not just about growing your business, it's about growing as a person, is about development. Is that sound, is that, am I on the right path with what you're saying? Did I interpret that right? Yes, you did. The The evidence is that if you want to preserve your neurological youth, then the best way that you can be doing that is through new activities that challenge your, challenge various aspects of attention that require you to pay attention in new ways. So for example, a while ago, I I joined an Aquasize class. And I realized as I was standing in the pool, putting my body in the position of being an airplane, (laughs) it's like, I haven't done this in, oh, you know, decades. And this is actually 
challenging. And so my attention was being rallied in staying upright in this novel medium of water in this new way. Um, shortly afterwards, I was rolling down a hill with one of my kids and I could barely stand up at the bottom. And I realized once again, I haven't rolled down a hill in a few decades. And lo and behold, my vestibular system was uh, a little challenged by that. So the more that you can, you can make yourself have to pay attention in new ways. If you've played the same old folk songs or hymns for years, it may bring you positivity and joy, and those are good things. But if you want to wake up your brain, sign up for some improvisational jazz lessons. Um, there's evidence, for example, Michael, that if you learn a new language, you can be pushing back the onset of dementia because it's requiring you to pay auditory attention. And it's requiring you to look at, if you're learning also through um, the written word, requiring you to look at um, how, these, how these letter combinations go together or what this entirely novel script looks like. You know, Roman oh. script versus Arabic script versus some um, indigenous language. You know, the, it is extraordinary. So it's not that we have to stop doing what we've always loved. If you've always loved crosswords, do crossword, but don't fool yourself that it's keeping you neurologically young. You've got to be yeah. press pushing the boundaries. Yeah, I, I mean, you think it's just in the world around us, just physics and entropy are either growing or you're dying. So keep, so keep growing. Mm -hmm. you know, that, mm -hmm. I think that's the, the, the message. Yeah. Shell, if you wouldn't mind, you know, kind of help us. We're going through transition. You have to go through these things. There's going to be challenges. Kind of help us to look at the difference between maybe helpful and hurtful. Um, you know, there, there are some things, you know, that, that I might take on a challenge and why would it be, why would one thing be helpful versus another thing being hurtful as we're going through these, these leadership transitions? So the first thing uh, that I think about is again, that the more that you can sow the seeds of good communication, healthy ways of working through conflict, clarity about roles, forgiveness, uh, in your, your family business, as well as a variety of other places, the more when you get to the difficult moments uh, that you already have the resources in your toolbox to be able to navigate difficult problems, right? So for example, my husband and I are going through the empty nest transition. Um, and, but there were a lot of things that we had done over the course of the last 10 years, vacationing by ourselves and some other things that, that are making that transition easier. Uh, whereas I know a lot of other folks struggle with that transition. So first of all, the, the anything, one of the things that creates problems in transitions are unspoken conflicts or spoken conflicts that have never gotten resolved. Mm -hmm. So uh, things that you can do proactively to not let things that are a small issue when roles and control are very clear, right? When roles and control are very clear, there's a lot of things that people may not like, but they don't cause conflict. But that the second that the control shifts, 
that then things bubble to the surface that have been there under the surface for a pretty long time. And so being willing to be disciplined and have the, the hard, productive, candid conversations before they're mandatory, uh, right? No one wants to be standing over a parent's bed in a hospital, uh, looking at the three siblings, each of them thinking, there's no way that person can run our business. Uh, but the conversation didn't happen. Uh, so as much proactive as possible. Uh, the other thing is adversity and diversity are the two things that build strong leaders, whether they're in family businesses or not. And so to Moira's point about uh, bringing diversity of experiences so that people become more multidimensional as they age within the family business means that when unexpected things happen, you have a stronger bench strength to fill in unexpected gaps that emerge. And then the final thing is uh, get help when you need it, right? You know, uh, it's at a certain point in life, a lot of us decide that we really need a personal trainer if we're gonna keep up the discipline of exercise and not just do the same X number of minutes on the elliptical in perpetuity, knowing it doesn't add that extra benefit. Uh, you know, there are points when bringing in whatever resources you need who are experts to help with the particular problem that you have uh, is really beneficial. And again, coming to agreements about what some of those places are and when you're gonna implement that, it's always easier to have the conversation in advance. Right. Moira, do you kind of take what Michelle was saying and maybe take an example of, you know, a family that you worked with that was in transition that was, they were helpful and one that might've been hurtful and, you know, how, and how you kind of pulled them apart a little better, work through that. Um, I, I'm actually going to take the same family as, as an example where um, they did build bench strength in their own kids in terms of just um, making sure that the kids knew that they had unconstrained life options, that, that they weren't obligated to go into the business. Um, and so uh, everybody had a role to play on a family board in that part of the circle, in the ownership circle, but only one person was still involved in the, in the business circle. And because those ongoing conversations didn't happen, the, the thought was that everybody was happy. Um, and, and so all of the good things that had been done throughout Generation Two's childhood um, and, and the welcoming of, of different people into the family through the in-laws, all of those good things had happened, but it kind of stopped once adulthood um, and, and, and their own family stopped. And it turned out that the person who was in the family business was feeling increasingly unhappy, but also constricted and guilty about that. And, and felt so much pressure about being the good guy and carrying on in, in the family business name that, that he was quite undone by that. And as a result, he had this really inelegant, hurtful exit where it was just sort of like, I'm done. You know, the, the way that it, that, ah, oh, the, 
he didn't want, that wasn't his best self, but it had all begun because out of a desire to not hurt his parents and not hurt his siblings. Um, but in the process, he lost himself and um, th that, that growth force, that part of us that is really our essential self that, that doesn't just go along to get along, that really wants us to have our own best life. If you, if you ignore it when it's trying to tell you these inconvenient things, it will burst forth in, in these really unlovely ways. <laughs> so I guess I, I, I hold that up as an, an example of a family that did things so beautifully and then forgot to keep nurturing the yeah. check-ins and the how are we doing and does this still make sense now? So don't rest on your laurels, right? Like continue to realize that everybody's in personal transition at, at various points and, um, and that it's still really important that you check in. The marriage that was great 10 years ago may be in a bit of a slump right now and it needs different things than it did then. And so always, if, you, that, if there's a message coming out of the podcast today, the theme, it seems to be the proactive. Get out ahead of trouble before it starts. Ask for feedback before it's coming at you screaming. Um, develop, develop new things before you can't develop new things. Yeah. The more that you can save enough of your bandwidth for growth and and proactivity the better off you're going to be perfect it, it, what what's jumping in for me as i'm thinking about you know as a business coach we are always making sure that we're dealing with you know the the talent the 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 non-family you know employees and we're doing quarterly reviews and we're checking in with them. Are you happy? Are you healthy? What's going on? And are we, are we challenging you? Are, you know, are, are you, how are you? And, and then we want to tell you how you're doing and how we feel you're doing and, and put that together. But so often we forget to do that with family members because it's family. And so it's, I guess, you know, a lot of times when we talk about the review with family members, yes, we do want to still talk about productivity, making sure that people aren't taking the job for granted and doing those things. But then there's a, the, that other piece of this, right? That other piece is, do you want to be here? How are you feeling about this? Do you want to be an owner someday? Do you not want to be an owner? Would you like to be able to sell your shares? And that, that whole idea that like you were we, you kind of alluded to, it was like that legacy feeling of that I have to be the one that brings this to the next thing. And I'm letting everybody down because we, because it does become such a heavy burden sometimes. And we, we, we forget that running a successful business and selling it is a wonderful thing. <laughs> The, you know, I mean, that's very few people are able to, to build up a business and do this wonderful thing, whether it was for, for 40 years or 10 years or four or 70, you know, years or 150. It's a-okay. Most of the businesses on the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, they don't exist any longer. They've been sold or taken over or merged. And that's just part of the business world. And we should be 
be equally willing to celebrate, holy cow, as a family, we just did something pretty awesome. And now maybe we'll develop some painters and some psychologists and some dentists out of this. We don't always have to have that, that business isn't what, we don't have to be the business, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Michelle, any, any other stories or examples? I think that we, you know, as individuals, we all learn better from stories and connect those dots. Anything that you can help us to connect those dots? Yes, so uh, one of my follow-up points, and then I have a good example, is that all of us cope better with adversity when we have some sense that we have control and we have choices. And uh, one of the things that can be particularly important for rising generations within family businesses is that they continue to have enough experiences that their career options are open to them. Because what you don't want is somebody who, you know, is at 45 years old, has only done things in the family business, they're unhappy, but they don't feel like they could go and get another job without taking a two thirds pay cut and having to start at the bottom. And so a family business client that I worked with uh, actually had uh, some pretty intense beliefs about that their children should come into the business. And uh, one of the children uh, for a period of time really became the black sheep of the family and uh, you know, moved to another state to have jobs in uh, places that were entirely different from where the family business was. And there was a lot of conflict during that time period. Uh, and there was an unexpected change in the health of the founder. Uh, and the founder had been functioning as really, you know, both the founder and the CFO and everything that was related to accounting. This child that had uh, gone off on their own was in banking. And uh, all of a sudden there was a massive gap at a time that was very difficult financially. And this person was able to come back home, back into the family business and contribute in a way that was vastly more powerful than if he had done what was expected and stayed within the family business the entire time. And uh, having watched that happen, uh, they as a group really came to some conclusions about G3 uh, and the ways that they were going to empower G3 and really see as permeable somebody's ability to come into the family business and then go have a diverse experience somewhere else and that that didn't have to be you've betrayed us. It could be you're building resources for the future that we may need to tap into. And that approach uh, of really allowing diverse career paths so that people have choices at any point within the family business uh, makes a massive difference in terms of people being there because they want to, and that always goes better. Great. Moira, anything to add to that? You just looked like you were... You... Yeah, it's just so much. I don't know, for some reason, my mind just went to Billy Elliot, you know, that musical of <laughs> Um, I was thinking also about, um, about how even things that we don't, we're not necessarily embracing because we want them to happen or, 
Um, nevertheless, we still need to be proactive about it, Michael. Again, as a neuropsychologist, one of the things that, that I'm often called in to do, and I wish I'd been called 15 years earlier, is to deal with a leader who has cognitive incapacity. Um, and off, you know, often it is because they've stayed in the saddle way too long. You know, uh, one family right now, that leader is in uh, the 90s. Um, and, you know, strangely enough, is not keeping up with the technology and with the, um, with the way that business is being done now, as opposed to how it was done in 1970. And um, there is just, there's nothing in place to, to get him out in a way that feels loving and respectful, um, but also effective. So one of the things that I ask people to try and get ahead of is the possibility of cognitive incapacity that might be caused by aging, or it might be caused by a mental illness. It might be caused by an addiction, um, a gambling addiction, uh, any kind of addiction. And, and part of it can just be an extension of good business practices. So for example, making sure that um, there are proper job descriptions for every role in the business, making sure that there are appropriate mechanisms for getting real-time feedback about how people are doing, not just annual reviews, um, that there are policies in place for what do you do if somebody isn't doing well in his or her role, um, that um, that there isn't the possibility for one person to take the whole company down financially because that person is the only person who knows what the checkbook, uh, what the checking account is looking like. So putting really good practices in place way ahead of time and making sure that you're taking care of everybody by as soon as your company can afford it getting good healthcare plans in place that include options for mental health treatment. You know, I, um, I know most family businesses are not Starbucks, but I, they were in the news a few years ago because when they looked at what was most likely to take people to contribute to absenteeism or presenteeism, it, it all came down to mental health. And they realized that if they put a, a benefits package in place that was most generous around the mental well-being part, that they reaped the financial benefits of that in the end. And so there is a business case for taking care of mental health at all levels of the company, up to and including the C-suite. Wonderful. That's a, it's an interesting concept. I think it goes right back to what you were saying in the beginning. And because dementia and Alzheimer's is so prevalent in our, in our society today, that it's, you know, being proactive and having these conversations mm -hmm. before they be, before they become an issue. Mm -hmm. um, I want to come back to that in a second, but it, Michelle, something that I, mean, I think it was something that you said um, talking about the, the family that, um, ba, 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 the, the black sheep, right. He, that he had, he didn't come right into the family business. I mean, where's that Moira? Um, 
And one of the things that, you know, that I thought about the thing, two things that went through my head is one is putting in place the ability for family members to have a sabbatical, you know, and my, my uncle is a priest and, you know, that's very prevalent in that world because they want them to go out. They want them to have a new experience. They want them to get their health in there, you know, and, you know, they want to, to have a mental break from all of the, the drain of being around and, and taking care of everybody else. And so my uncle has had several sabbaticals and we've talked about the, you know, how energetic he comes back and happy and ready to take it on again. And if we think about the family, that those dynamics, because those dynamics are so draining sometimes, that's just the, I mean, it's, there's a lot of work to be part of that family business at times that to put into place to say every three years, it's okay to take a sabbatical, but while you're going to take that sabbatical, tell us what you're going to come back with. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And, you know, the idea is to do exactly that. And the other thing that went through my head is just looking at the country that we live in today. Um, you know, when we look at the U S and what, and, 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 and Canada as well, but just big melting pots, right. And that, that diversity has led to some of the best things that have happened through the, through the country because we didn't rely on any one set of rules or standards or whatnot to get us to who, who we are today. And it's, and it's kind of, and it's changed. So there is some good news beyond, around that. And I think it's the same thing for a family business. If you only know how to do something a certain way, like you were saying, you know, that you're going to, you know, at 90, you're going to be out of luck and you're not going to be able to put those pieces together the same way. So, you know, going out and sending people out on missions to find out, you know, go work for the competition for a year and then come on back. Um, and maybe it's the competition in another state, you know, maybe it's not direct competitors, but maybe it's, you know, we're going to send you out to another, you know, company and maybe you could even do a, a switch, you know, you send me your kid, I'll send you my kid and, and to find, you know, somebody that uh, is doing that so that you can see what to do and probably what not to do at some levels. Um, when you've got, you know, how, what, let's talk about some of the ways that the leader, we, we, we hit on them earlier, but I, and then I want to come back and I want to finish up with more of the dementia piece because I do think it's so prevalent today. Um, but what are some of the other ways that we can, you know, have different roles? We can have different, you know, levels of importance so that we're, our role, our identity isn't just as the leader of the business. What are some of the, the ways that you've seen families do that and other leaders do that? Michelle, do you want to? So uh, one of the things I'll start with and then work backwards. So from what Moira said about, you know, proofing your business against dementia and some of those other things. One of the best external tools is to have a strong board that's made up of people who are not family members, uh, because it's a lot easier for strong external board members. It, you know, I still remember the conversation I had to have with my mom about that she couldn't drive anymore and walking out with the car keys, right? Uh, you know, it's really hard for kids to have those conversations. So when you have external board members who can provide some of those conversations so it doesn't create a family rift, that can be incredibly important. 
And Michael, to your question, right? That's one option for people to get better exposure is I know a number of family businesses who have swapped board membership. So, uh, you know, a G2 member is a board for, uh, uh, you know, somebody in their same market, but five states away and they've swapped. And that has been a really phenomenal uh, growth experience and way for somebody to diversify uh, what they're doing. I love that one. You know, the other part that the board brings is that diversity. So like, you know, I'm on the, uh, the board of a small um, insurance company, property casualty company. And as they're putting that board together, they're always looking at, at diversity, one by age, two by, you know, gender and different life experiences and, and whatnot. But then it's also by one's an attorney, one's an accountant, one's, you know, financial advisor, somebody else's, you know, has a background in IT. And, and so you're bringing in these expertises and that are just different than you might have in your leadership or on your team so that you can be exposed to some just different levels of thinking. And that's really what the board's job is to do that. But I, I love what you said is, you know, if you did a board's, you know, the board swap, you know, or the board seat swap, I think that's brilliant. And I, have, I haven't heard that one before, but that's a really nice way then to bring that in to, you know, bring the diversity and at the same time have somebody from the outside you know, when you're going into the next generation, the rising generation, right, you know, and you've got two or three very capable individuals that could be the next CEO, um, who's going to make that decision? How do, you, how do you decide that? Maybe that really becomes the role of the board at that point is to say, you know, let's take the family off of this and let's help you to, to figure those things out. Um, and getting some of that outside advice. Thank you. That was great. I love, love that one. You know, the, the board thing is so tricky because sometimes it's not, they don't have a sense of, of mandate necessarily. I mean, obviously everybody goes onto a, a board expecting that they're going to be there in some sort of advisory capacity, but are they also there in a fiduciary capacity? Mm -hmm. Because often their, their real loyalty is to the person who asked them to be on the board, which is typically the founder or, you know, the current business leader. Um, and if it's that person who's really beginning to mess up or who is becoming cognitively incapacitated, everybody can feel these split loyalties. Or it doesn't even have to be cognitive incapacity. It can be a family split. It can be a divorce. And the board really needs to have its marching orders in terms of uh, who it owes its loyalty to. Mm -hmm. um, and so any of these measures, if you're going to do them, just make sure you do them in, in full measure, not in a, in a half-assed kind of way. Uh, you know, it, it, we see this in some of the bigger companies where they bring women on, onto boards, for example, but they're not, they're not put on in the audit role. They're put in the, you know, maybe governance or something that, that isn't truly embedded into the guts of, of how the business is there. So if you're going to do this, do it, make it real. If you're going to bring diverse people into your company, find ways to help them have their voices heard and to make a difference. Don't just dial it in. That's great. 
and then back to that same piece on the on the dementia proofing. Now you're going back and saying, you know, if the board has that authority, if that board has that ability to be, you know, focused on the business and focused on the family, not an individual, that's very helpful. When I'm doing this, um, setting it up for dementia proofing in particular, um, we also make sure that there are other kinds of external inputs that come into the problem, into the uh, situation. So if somebody's going to stay in the saddle longer than 65, I recommend a baseline neuropsychological assessment at that point, and then uh, follow-up assessments um, every five years at first, and then accelerating um, beyond that, uh, beyond that point. And, and if there is, those, those reports have to be made available to the board, and the, there are legal steps that get triggered so that there's no anguish uh, um, or that <laughs> there's always anguish, but that there's, there's no decisional dilemma about how to be, how, what to do, because the, those decisions have been pre-made. Right. And that is one of the, the best gifts that you could ever set your family up for in the hope that you never have to give it to them, but nevertheless, that it's there. I appreciate both of you being here today. What I'd like to do is, this was great. And there's a lot of really powerful nuggets inside of here. I hope everybody picked them up. But if there's any you know, parting words, number one, anything that you wanna to do to wrap, wrap up your thoughts or anything that I didn't give you a chance to talk about. And then two, how do people get a hold of you if they want you know, and speak with you? Cause you know, something that you said worked for them. How do they do that? Michelle? Oh. Uh, sure. So, uh, you know, my closing words are uh, think of all the conversations that are easier to have in the abstract than when they have somebody's name on them. Make a list and have them sooner rather than later. Th those are my closing words. Um, I intentionally don't have a website. Uh, because I really primarily work with people that come through other people that I know, um, but you're welcome to have uh, my email address, uh, which is pretty easy, michelle at michelleclarkphd.com. Uh, and uh, I do a fair number of these kind of speaking, interview, engagement kind of things that I'd be happy to help with uh, going forward. Great, thank you. She's just out of witness protection, so she's still kind of hard to find. <laughs> um, I can be found through my website, uh, which is moneymindanddemeaning.com, the longest um, handle in, in business. Uh, the things that you would do differently if you could do it again, I'd start with that one. So uh, that's where you can find my website. In terms of Parting wisdom, I would say to continue to listen to uh, to podcasts like the one that you're doing for the community, Michael. That that we benefit so much from the experience and the wisdom of other people. And I look at the at the lineup of people that you've had before, and there that is just remarkable. And thank you for your willingness to share your own family's stories. Uh, over time with us that I, I have learned much from that. Oh, thank you very much. 
Well, everyone, thank you for joining us on another wonderful episode of the Family Biz Show. I'm Michael Columbus, your host with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And if we can ever help you, feel free to reach out to us at uh, familywealthandlegacy.com. Uh, you're not the only one with a really long, really long <laughs> URL. So <laughs> thank you, everybody. This has been fun. And uh, I've enjoyed speaking with both of you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.